fascinating gadgets, gizmos, and gear-based technologies. Welcome to FGGBT. Now, this is the show that takes your favorite fictional science and technology, and we make it a reality. We are the Brain Trust. I am the analytical mastermind, Daniel J. Glenn. With me, the physics phenom, Dr. Michael Denon. Well, Dan, I just have to say, our last episode may have been the best ever, but this episode just proves once again, you are the best ever master of film and television because I loved I loved this recommendation from you and would not have known about it if I was not part of this amazing team. It's what I try to do. It's my commitment to excellence, not only to the viewers and listeners, but also to you, Denon. And I'm excited about this one as well. And I am always excited and never surprised by our enigmatic engineer, Ben Siebser. Ben, where are you? Well, you're still up on the brain station, but are you really on the brain station? Well, I am really up here, Dan. And this week, some folks back on Earth have asked me to look into unlocking the mechanism behind a new mind control technology. It appears to be in very widespread usage all across the United States. That's true, Ben. There are lots of mind control plans uh, <laughs> being enacted across the country, which we're going to get into. And the movie you're talking about, Denon, uh, is one that I loved. It. It's called They Clone Tyrone on Netflix. And this one is right up my alley. You know, I'm going to do a whole thing on the the. The and you know the, you mentioned the master of film and television. I am that. That is I, and I can't wait to talk about some of the cool film stuff here. But this is a movie. You know, it's got clone in the title, and in truth, cloning isn't a big part of it, but it's enough of a part that it made me want to ask this question of the group: What would you do if you go to your friend's house? You know, you're not shot. You're in perfect working order, but your friend, in a shocked face, says you were shot yesterday. What would you do if you then later on that day saw yourself with a bullet hole walking down the street only to be thrown into a gigantic SUV and driven off quickly? Now, I imagine this extraordinarily complex and very specific scenario, which does <laughs> apply to this movie, uh, is odd. And I imagine, Denon, for you, this would probably throw you for a loop. So it's interesting, Dan. I, I That would definitely throw me for a loop. And it's a two-stage process. The first is my friend trying to convince me I've been shot when I clearly haven't been shot. Um, mm -hmm. For all but one of my friends, I'd be really concerned because I trust my friends. I would believe them. There'd be no reason for them to mess with me. With mm -hmm. one of my friends, I'd be pretty sure to check if it was April 1st. And even if it wasn't, <laughs> I don't think I would believe them ever. Um, am I, so, am I know, that friend? Am I the friend? No, you are not, actually, because okay, you okay, have not right. ever yet tried to fool me on April Fool's Day. <laughs> um, but I have one friend who's gotten me um, quite uh -huh. consistently and very well. Um, mm -hmm. So, but it shows that human level of trust in the eyewitness reports, right? Eyewitness stuff, right. you know, I am an expert on ancient aliens now streaming on Netflix, and we know eyewitness reports are critical. I think the really freaky thing is my own eyewitness report. When I see myself with bullet holes, I'm going to really probably first think about my long lost twin, Dan, but I will go to clones. I, I you know, I may be an apocalypse denier, but I am not a clone denier. Um, and and this would, you know, I will I will believe that science is ahead of where I think it is when I see myself with bullet holes. I think I would go clones. Huh. Interesting. OK, what about you, Ben? I think I would just go doppelganger. I think, you know, <laughs> people aren't all that. I mean, people are unique, but they're not that unique. There's a lot of lookalikes out there. And I'd be just oh, you probably just saw someone who looked like me. 
I'm fine. Uh, speak for yourself, Ben. Some of us are very unique. <laughs> maybe yeah. that's just. Maybe I just don't think I'm. I'm very unique. <laughs> I just think that's the robot in you. <laughs> I, I, I think it is. You know, I have to say, I was just talking about and a completely different, um, <laughs> completely different TV show. I was talking to a friend of mine about how when you see someone, even if it's been forty years or so, that person you can always recognize that it's that person. Right. And I, I get this a lot. There are times where I've walked into a random, say, coffee shop and I saw someone out of the corner of my eye and I knew I knew them and I just couldn't place it. Right. It turns out that I did know them and then it all comes back. Right. So you got those that, that there's that instinct. Right. There's that sixth sense out there. And I think if I saw me shot walking down the street, first of all, it's weird that I would get thrown into an SUV and driven off. But um, which didn't <laughs> seem to bother either one of you. But I also don't I think I would know. If it was a doppelganger, someone completely different, or if it really, really looked like me. And I'll be honest with you guys, I'm not sure how I would handle this situation. I mean, this movie is all about conspiracies. You know, that's right up my alley. So I think I may go with, I've been cloned by a government agency who's trying to use me to keep a neighborhood in control and unchanged for decades. I think I might go there. So, Dan, I am totally on this. Like like you, I'm going to be very suspicious here because of all my training and education that I've gotten from TVs, movies, and books. Those are my survival manuals. I would immediately recognize this as a cloning situation. The black van is probably going to signal government interference. You know, unlike you, I'm usually trusting the government. So, like, the first thing I would go in danger is to the government. But I think in this case, I'd have to be really suspicious of them. And I just don't know what I do. I might actually convene the brain trust because you are, you know, the smartest people I know when it comes to conspiracies, evil robots, cloning, and the end of the world. I think I think that's I think that's a great option, Denon. We're the ones who are going to get you <laughs> out of this. Uh, you know, one of the cool so when it comes to the cloning part of this movie, there were two things that came to mind immediately, which were there's kind of like a strange Westworldy type of feel to this, where if a clone does something and gets killed, they kind of throw it away and bring out a new person <laughs> and just give them the memories and just stick them right back into the world like nothing ever happened. <laughs> right. And there's also this kind of a strange, I'm going to call it a soft time loop, where everyone's doing the same thing day after day after day. But it's not in like a Groundhog Day version where everyone's doing the exact same thing. They're just kind of going through the motions, you know, kind of like a boring life. We've all been in those stuck in those situations <laughs> yeah. where it feels like you're doing the same thing, but you're kind of not. But you totally are. And that's what this kind of <laughs> felt like. You know what I mean? Like where you're, you know, a soft time loop. I don't know what you think about that, but that's what I'm calling it. I, I was going to say, Dan, I mean, it, it is just real life. Most people... You know, get up, you know, go to the same coffee shop or whatever, uh, go to the same job and do the same rough thing every day. And so that we are in a time loop in that sense. You know, all yeah. I do is I well, get up, come to my computer and work from home every day. You know, it's sure. I, I think we're all kind of stuck in that. Some a lot of us are stuck in that situation, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Yeah. My one addendum. Ben, for some of us, we are so lucky that it's a fun time loop. I'll just I'll just point that out there. Yeah. Um, but the reason I know it's a time loop is the number of times I've left my house um, planning to go to point X, which is new, and suddenly find myself going down the wrong exit, going on my usual route mm. for that day. Um, and 
you know, as we all know, the freeway system here in Southern California, sometimes if you take that wrong exit, it's a long loop back to the right exit. Yeah. Mm. Now, when you yeah. say point X, does this have anything to do with the science of X, your new show on YouTube? Um, very much it could, um, because I will do the physics of X, where X is everything but politics, Dan. Mm-hmm. So point X could be X. Um, and YouTube is a fun place to look for it, if you can find me. It's, <laughs> that, that's the key. Uh, X marks the spot. we got to tell people, give people a map of where it goes to. Uh, but, you know, you mentioned not trusting the government, Denon. And we're going to go into some dark places, because I feel like this movie really drew from some some insidious historical events and it kind of extrapolated what if they were kind of what if they were still going on right and so one of these you know is uh the tuskegee experiment and so this was kind of you know uh it was an experiment that was done in tuskegee it should i should also note that the director joel uh, is joel taylor is from tuskegee uh is from that area which is kind of interesting and this was a collaboration between the cdc and tuskegee institute where they basically brought in 600 black men who were infected with syphilis and they basically just wanted to see what would happen. Now, two thirds of them had it. One third didn't as their control group. But they kind of just let it go, despite the fact that penicillin was available. And this is, you know, one of those dark marks on American history. And one of the interesting things apart about it, which c- comes very apparent in this movie, is that it wasn't just white doctors. There were black doctors and black nurses who also wanted to bring this this experiment to the university. And we see that in this movie, right? Spoiler alert here. It's mostly, you know, white underlings you know working on minorities and and the under uh the the um the underprivileged anyone who can't defend themselves is usually who they go after but the leader of this is a black doctor and so there's this strange what you really realize is that this is inherent in human nature that's the scary part of this and no matter who you are and the interest of science you will push that forward i know this is dark denon but you're pretty dark yourself and i know you go to some dark places but that, that's the inspiration for this movie now i'm not saying you'd be on the tuskegee experiment panel uh but you can understand that the interest of science in some people's minds outweighs what it takes to get there yeah and definitely now that we are not doing D, mm-hmm. i will get back into my real self not my character there you go and, there you and, go and, 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 and flip from the previous episode yeah. And just that, you know, it, it really is very sad how often science has been abused historically. Yes. Right. The, the phrase in the name of science really should be expunged. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I am obviously, you know, knowledge is important and we want to do science um, as best we can to learn as much as we can. But ethics is actually critical. Definitely. And the fact that we are actually trying to improve our ethical approach to science and research, particularly anything biomedical around the human body, um, is really important. I mean, it, it's a it's an eternal conundrum, mm-hmm. right? Which is right. we do want to make ourselves you know healthier and better. So you do at some level have to study disease and cures and drugs. Sure. Um, but you really have to do it ethically. And it is certainly true that we have failed and fallen short at many situations. So I just want to make it very clear when I'm playing D&D <laughs> and when I'm being myself. Yeah, fair <laughs> enough, fair enough. Yeah, it's so tough because... You know the way to learn to learn things is experiment is experiments, and you know you're not to learn how a disease progresses without letting people get the disease and letting it progress. Like that's a hard thing, and and in some ways it's useful to know that information, but at the same time it's 
probably better to give them the penicillin and <laughs> and and maybe we just don't know what advanced syphilis is like. <laughs> and, and if we're lucky, nobody has it. Right. And so we don't need to know. Right. And and Ben, just to, uh, Ben or Dan, you actually mentioned this. Mm-hmm. You know, the the real insidious thing about a lot of this is throughout history. Um, we, we've picked the people who can't protect themselves mm-hmm. and the underserved and the underprivileged yep. to actually force this on. It's not like we were really doing it to ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that, that adds to the ethical questions in a very, very real and insidious way. Yeah. No, it does. And what's great about this movie is like all horror movies, right? They, they, they take that reality and they kind of take it in a totally different direction for both social commentary, but also for the horror aspect of it. You know, yeah. um, when you look at this movie, you know, the main doctor... Essentially, he's doing experiments on himself, you know, Victor Frankenstein style, right? Like he's mm-hmm. kind of willing to put himself. Well, he's really doing it on other versions of himself, so he's not taking it mm-hmm. on. But it's that those ethical, you know, it's that 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 ethical conundrum you mentioned. Yeah, and and I hate to go here, but the United States is also when it comes to doing this type of thing, and this is a big theme in this movie as well. You know, we brought over a lot of Nazi scientists, and with them. The types of experiments they were doing, we were okay with that knowledge because they had done it someplace else. But this is knowledge that we're going to talk about in this movie, where you have what does mustard gas do on an on, you know what what biological effects does that have? You know what 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 uh, how does arsenic work? You know cyanide. Mm-hmm. These on the these are the types of of things that horror movies are made of, and we see that here. There's lots of chemicals that are used to manipulate a population, so it gets dark really quickly. Despite the fact that this it's an incredibly hilarious movie, by the way. I want to po- I want to point that out. <laughs> it's not all doom and gloom, right? I mean, you know, you can make fun well, of this stuff. Well, you and this shows, you know, you mentioned, you know, the the societal commentary and the and I mean, I think satire is a useful thing. Yeah. Um. And and for some of us, we missed that it was a horror movie, Dan, and that's why we need you here to explain yeah. these <laughs> underlying facts. Yeah. Yeah. Some of us are confused and think horror is only like blood and guts and screaming. Yes. Um. I this was certainly a terrifying movie. Yeah. And it was a psychological, uh, disturbing and thriller type movie. Yes. Um. Which I guess is the ultimate definition of real horror. I just don't think of it that way. Yes. Yeah. yeah I mean. It's interesting that you called horror because I, too, have that narrow definition of monsters and blood and gore. And, yeah, to me, it's the, it is a psychological thriller. That's what I would call this genre. You know, it's making you think and it's making you afraid of the real world, not imaginary monsters that aren't actually out there. Uh, well, it, it, very, it feels very much like the original Alien movie is a sci-fi horror movie, right? Mm-hmm. And this right. felt like that. It's science fiction. But in a lot of ways, it is horror. You know, so one of the other things that they pull from are the MK Ultra experiments. And mm-hmm. these were the mind control experiments done by the U- by the CIA, had, uh, led by Sidney Gottlieb. If you want a full explanation, you can check out my Fascinating Nouns episode on said experiments and said experimenteur. Uh, but, you know, this is basically... And this is broad strokes here, guys. But these were experiments that were done, again, on an unwitting population. These were um, people in psych wards, in hospitals, in prisons, against their own will, drugged heavily with psychedelics, LSD, all in in an attempt to control people's minds. The idea was to basically break down your mental capacity and then rebuild it so that you would do whatever the people wanted you to do and the people, Mm -hmm. the CIA, uh, this was, you know, they tried behavioral, electrical, chemical. And in this movie, the interview, uh, the director uh, said that he wanted to create this underground facility as if the MK ultra experiments had never stopped 
being done, which is a really interesting aesthetic. And also, you know, I'm curious what you guys think. You know, these were the types of, again, you know, this is how we learned about LSD and psychedelics in the brain, but at what cost? You know, drugging unwitting people with high amounts of a psychedelic drug, you know, is, I, I don't know how people justify that behavior. Yeah, I, I don't either, Dan. It's really, it's really a striking example of, I think, power dynamics in humans. I mean, we just recently had our own experience here. Um, twice now, Ben's computer and his air conditioner have attacked him mm-hmm. um, <laughs> in, in, a, in a power control move. Um, and it's even worse when humans do it, because we should know better. Yeah. Um, you know, machines, they're unthinking creatures. They just do what they do. Um, but but humans should behave ethically and not and not take advantage of these power differentials um, to abuse people who can't protect themselves. And so it really is, it, you know, it's a horror film we watch, Dan, and sadly it is allowing us to revisit the horror of our country's history. Sure, it, it, you know, in in a disturbing fashion. But well, yeah. we don't normally do on this show. We usually keep this it, it right. keep it pretty light. So you know, I'm I'm bringing the dark clouds in, and I recognize that. So I'm not trying yeah. to weigh it down. But I think it's all important to understand because. With any great movie that's about social commentary and a horror movie, there's always something there's underlying that they're pulling from historically. And this idea, you know, of, you know, really, I mean, really, this is it's a movie about um, people underprivileged and under the the un the the people who are unable to defend themselves are being manipulated by larger, more powerful forces. And, you know, a lot of it is about mind control and suppression. And the point is, there's been lots of scientific work that's been done on this. And in this movie, they do it in a very funny way. But I think also there's a great movie, Idiocracy, which I think uh, Mm -hmm. talks about this as well. (laughs) But I think the ultimate goal of a lot of people is to keep us docile and to keep us in a state of not wanting to care about the environment, making us easy to control, maybe not as aggressively as, you know, what we see in the real experiments. But, you know, there are lots of ways, you know, mind control is something that I think if you're a corporation that wants to sell you, let's say, toothpaste or in this movie, fried chicken, you know, uh, KFC, Mm -hmm. let's say, mind control is a great way to get you to come. Let's go out to the lobby. Let's go out to the right. I mean, (laughs) you know, that you know, that old thing. Oh, yeah. Well, and. And to think about, you know, what what is advertising if not that, right? You know, we 100%. all and and also not just that, but like we know that humans have addictive personalities and that there are certain um, ingredients you can use. Now, obviously, in this movie, it's this mysterious white powder that we don't really know what it is, but there's. There's non-mysterious white powders in our lives that we use to control people. There's <laughs> yep. there's sugar, you know, mm-hmm. in America specifically, like a lot of food has way more sugar in it than it needs to. And definitely and we get addicted to that hit of sweetness um, that makes us want to eat more and things like that. And of course, there's like the nicotine and cigarettes and, and mm-hmm. other stuff. You know, we are no strangers to using chemical means to make people make consumer decisions Mm -hmm. um potentially maybe not against their will but certainly not in their will (laughs) or not in their best interest and working against their best interest interest. definitely Mm -hmm. exactly but you know dan just to to lighten the mood briefly for a moment Mm -hmm. i know these are serious issues so i don't want to make light of the issues but it is true there is one example of something that is not mind control and in your best interest Mm -hmm. 
With your free will, <laughs> I'm sure you're just going to go buy an FGGTV mug uh-huh. and merchandise because there are no subliminal messages here. We are not using any chemicals to control nope. you. We are just using a solid quality product right. that you will enjoy for years to come. Drinking your non-addictive coffee, <laughs> your non-addictive Diet Coke, your non-addictive other beverages from your mug. Yep. Yeah. Well, and of course, there's there's no uh, there's no coercion here that you should get your fascinating gadgets, gizmos, and gear-based technology water bottle. And unlike those substance, those uh, liquids Dr. Denon described with <laughs> a very addictive substance, caffeine, the water. I well, actually, you know, when you think about it, the water, is the most addictive substance because without <laughs> it, you will die. Yeah, uh, but that's just built into then. our biology, <laughs> yeah. not uh, something some evil conglomerate has made you want to drink. <laughs> well, unless you consider religion and God an evil conglomerate, which which I don't. Uh, but, and of course, you know, if you want to keep yourself safe from the uh, environment, you know, biology's nature's technology. This is a great shirt. There's several others on our website. You know, uh, look. Soft pitch here. Go there if you want. Uh, F triple gbt.com forward slash merch. Uh, or or you don't have to. You know, we're not going to push you. Um, you know, it's not we're not going to make you feel less than for not having the coolest shirt around. Um, but, you know, <laughs> it's that type. You know, it's a perfect segue into advertisement because that is one of the ways that people are subtly manipulated. You know, subliminal messages, you know, drink Coke, you know, hearing something. Uh, and what's interesting is in this movie, what they've done is there's a specific scene. I call it the pseudo zombie scene where mm-hmm. you see these people in a club run out to attack um, uh, our, our, our little trio inside of a car. And what they've done in the movie is create a sub-oral sound. They use Morse code to type out a message, right? Now, we can't hear that. The human being can't actively hear that. But there's lots of research that's done that maybe we sense it. You know, and I think that this is part of what's so interesting about subliminal stuff is it's not so much the overt, hey, we're going to make you feel like you need to do this thing. It's the subtle like, hey, aren't you thirsty right now? And if you are, (laughs) how about this nice bubbly glass of Diet Coke? It seems great and refreshing right now. Why don't you go out and buy yourself one? That's subtle mind control. And it happens. It seems innocuous, Denon, but you're a man who I know can't get enough of this terrible stuff. Oh, it, it's so true. And it is amazing. Like you mentioned this, a lot of this is blamed on movies. You know, before the movie, you know, the current ads in the theaters I go to are, you know, the popping of a soda can, the bubbling mm-hmm. noise. It's very sound generated. Yes, I mean, there's absolutely. the visual of the soda being poured, mm-hmm. but it is amazing how much the sound plays a role. And I do think that's the slightly insidious part of both sound and scent. I would argue scent mm-hmm. is a way to manipulate and control people because we are so attuned to our visual senses. Mm-hmm. And I know there's subliminal messages in the visual, too, sure. that that's come out. But I think we overlook sometimes the sound and scent and its influence on our overall you know, brain behavior, brain function, and brain capacity. And you know, going from the suggestion that's very powerful and maybe tips you over something you already want to do, like you already kind of like drinking soda and now you really want to, <laughs> sure. right? Yeah. To the become an angry mob and chase down these people, even though that's not really how you would normally behave. Yes. You know, big jump. What does it take to tip the brain over that jump? Mm-hmm. Um, I I don't think it. It's clearly not impossible, and it's clearly intriguing to think about. The scary aspects of that and and how we would get there or intriguing is not quite the word i wanted i i think important because you want to be able to defend against it yeah 
Well, it's so interesting too when I think about like the subliminal of the movie theater. You know, you you never crack a can and pour it into a cup at a movie theater. <laughs> like that's right. that's not something they do. Uh, it comes out of the fountain. But I, I like this idea that you're we're we're trained to associate sounds and smells with things, even if those things aren't necessarily a part of the activity you're you're about to do or that they want you to do. But we're we're so ingrained and we're so trained that you hear that sound and you think I'll get a soda, even if it's not going to be a can of soda. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> right. No, it's very true. And a lot of this, you know, I would say a lot of this is kind of passive manipulation, like it's not active, right? But there are lots of you know, there's persuasive techniques. Then you've you've talked, uh, you wanted to mention hypnotism, right? Mass hypnotism yeah. is you know can be a real thing, and we see it. In a lot of ways, built into television, song lyrics, commercials, sales pitches. You mentioned the audio and visual clues. Um, you know, we don't like. I don't like to get political on the show. We're not going to. But I think you can see in a lot of what's happening with a lot of social media. Let's say, well, I'm going to talk about that a little bit later. Where people using saying the same thing over and over again, uh, you know, repeatability, people start to believe things are true when they hear this, the same thing over and over again, or doing things that are against their best interest because they, you know, because they've been tricked to believe a certain thing. This is all in some ways forms of hypnosis and definitely forms of thought control that start to become very scary when you start to see people, you know, do things that uh, they wouldn't normally do uh, and when it gets aggressive, I think. And we've seen that in, in recent history and we see it in this movie as well. Definitely. And and I do remember, you know, speak of horror, mm-hmm. I think the first time I experienced reading a truly scary book was when I had to read 1984. Yep. I hadn't read anything like mm-hmm. that before. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember thinking at the time, it was obviously before 1984 that I read it, um, I'm like, oh, this will never happen, right? right. But now I look around Right. And in 1984, I think because of the character's perspective, it feels a little blatant. Mm -hmm. Right. Oh, how could you miss it? How could the government get away with it? But to your point, Dan, right, in terms of media now and and sort of active attempts at control, Mm -hmm. I think people have learned how powerful the combination of video messaging, repeatability. Mm -hmm. Right. You used to just only get things on TV when it was actually scheduled and on, and now it's on your phone <laughs> all the time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right, right. So True. it's it really adds it ups the ante and adds a layer of you know what does it mean for us to be controlled? We all like to think we can't be, but I really wonder, you know, are we as immune as we think we are? I, I mean, we're obviously not. I mean, you you look, you know, to get even more political, you see politicians repeat lies over and over again, and eventually they're their followers, their constituents start to say those things as if they're fact, even though they're, they're, they've always been false and they continue to be false. Um, but that's, that's the reality of the world we live in now is that this repetition of falsehoods and control like that works. People will believe what they want to believe, not what's actually true. And and that's always been that's all that fact has always been true, right? Yes. I mean, you know, look, if we're gonna go dark, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep going dark, right? Let's talk about the Nazis. Why not? Um, their propaganda <laughs> was extraordinarily persuasive. 
And there's mm-hmm. reasons for that, right? And one of the one of the most interesting things that I think Joseph Goebbels said, the minister of propaganda, I believe, was that accuse the other side of that which you are guilty. And this yeah. is an amazing technique that I've seen used on on much smaller scales than <laughs> than mass extermination. But but you know when you tell when you say someone else has done something that you're doing actively. And it's in a strange, weird way, it tricks people's minds into thinking, well, they couldn't possibly be doing that as well. And this is another interesting form of manipulation that we see all over the place. Right. And yeah. and or and it's also some people are so uh, there aren't they aren't quite aware that they are, in fact, doing it may not always be active and, and manipulative. Sometimes they just aren't aware right. of themselves and that they're doing the same thing. Lots of you know, lots of this goes on here. You know, uh, I may be getting us off track, but no, not, not really, Dan. And, but I think what's interesting is on the the lighter version of this, mm. you know, the non Nazi version. Sure, um, yeah. <laughs> Let's scale it back right. a little bit. Sorry about that. Sorry. No, but but I think what's fascinated me, uh, having been to a couple of mentalist um, yeah, sure. Shows live, yeah. mm-hmm. right? Is they're they're clearly not doing magic, right? Like this is not like yes, spells 100%. and all of that. Um, but it's a little different. That some of it is sleight of hand, some of it is sort of mathematical and numeracy, where you know it looks like a trick, but you know arithmetic just works that way. But but some of it really is just being super super good at both knowing people, reading people, mm-hmm. and to some degree manipulating people to get what they want, mm-hmm. right? They talk about right the forced choice in magic, right? Mm-hmm. Where you think you're making a free choice and you're not, right? Um, the illusion and, of and choice it's a little risky. Yeah, exactly. The illusion of choice, which I believe you interviewed me on. I did. On a famous podcast. <laughs> fascinating, on fascinating nouns. nouns. Mm-hmm. I'll put a link to it so people can catch up. It's true. Yeah. But but I mean this sort of I hadn't really appreciated that the mental games mm-hmm. are so real that someone like a mentalist can rely on it. Absolutely. Right? Like they can yeah. reliably use their ability to both read and manipulate people to have a successful act and amaze us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I I'm glad you brought that up cuz it's colloquially called the magician's choice. There's so many ways to trick people into thinking they're making a free choice, and it's and it's really scary. Um, you know, even the the basic like pick a random card thing. Like the magician can fan out the cards, and you think you're pulling one randomly, but in reality, they're able to manipulate you into picking exactly the card they want you to pick. And that's mm-hmm. that's true in a magic trick, and it's true in uh, real life too, in a lot of ways. <laughs> Well, and it's interesting because there's that level of manipulation, right? And and one of the things that I wanted to mention, which is on here, is there there are other passive ways to kind of keep people uninterested, right? There's several ways you can manipulate people, right? And mm-hmm. social media is amazing. When you look at something like TikTok or Instagram, a doom scrolling, right? You can find yourself watching two or three minute videos for hours. And doing nothing productive, your brain is not really learning anything. Sometimes they're spreading misinformation. You're learning things that aren't true. It's a, it's a fascinating, you know, Facebook, I think they've publicly said that their active competitor is sleep. They're trying to keep you on the platform <laughs> as long as possible, right? The, television was called the opiate of the masses, you mm-hmm. know, 50 years ago. But now I think social media is the mental heroine of, of, of our total population. <laughs> you know, I mean, I think it keeps you dull it keeps you docile which is exactly what we see in this movie although they don't use social media they use food drink and, and advertisements but it's the same principle mm-hmm. well you know i do think there, there's the interesting thing dan of both the the chemical responses of your brain 
through through stimuli like TV, movies, social media, and what you do versus the direct chemical stimulation, right? You mentioned in, in the in this movie that they do tend to use more some direct stimulation through you know the various things like the hair products, the food, um, the other stuff. But I do think it shows the scale difference between TV mm-hmm. and what we have now, yes. right? I mean, at some level, TV was never quite the problem people thought it was. And I go back to the fact that, right, yeah. things were scheduled, right? So it was easy, right? The shows that didn't interest you anymore, there was usually a commercial that was annoying, so you can turn the TV off and go do something else, right? Which people Netflix, did regularly then. Come on now. Come oh, on. I think more than they do now. I will t- Just as a little aside, I mean, th- there was one time I was preparing for one of our episodes, and you said you need to watch the after credit scene. Let me tell you, it was very, very hard to get the after credit scene to show up on whichever platform was streaming this because it kept wanting to take me to the next show on the platform. <laughs> <laughs> I almost failed oh, in funny. my assignment for FGBT because I, streaming wanted me to just go to the next show. Go to the next show. Yeah. It was yeah. not letting me watch the after credit scene. Right. Huh. Um, Keeping you on the platform as long as possible. That is how aggressive this mm-hmm. is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I mean, that... <laughs> It really is scary how these algorithms have adjusted themselves almost out of the control of the developers to feed us those hits. You know, they we've designed our computers to react in ways to keep us engaged. And in a lot of ways, even that 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 bit of the control is even out of the creator's hands. Um, our computers <laughs> are intentionally addicting us to to themselves without us really uh, being in control of that uh, action now. Well, I will tell you that exactly what you're describing, an algorithm that you play into, which then alters itself to make you more addicted to it, to interact with it more, it's called a Meganet. And I did a fascinating announced episode on those as well, (laughs) which I'll put a link to on my social media and my YouTube. I'm doing the same thing. I'm part of the problem here, guys, (laughs) uh, which is terrible. But please watch my, please watch the episode. Um, But uh, let's switch, let's switch gears here a little bit. I want to talk about something that is kind of fun that we see in this movie. So, you know, we're talking about how in, in, what this government agency in the movie is trying to do is control people with their food, with the fried chicken batter recipe, um, with uh, hair products, with with uh, some some uh, juice, things like that, right? And it made me think of secret recipes, okay? And <laughs> what I love is that with food, secret recipes are kind of an interesting thing. As you mentioned, Ben, a lot of food now is constructed with lots of chemicals, sugar being one of them, caffeine uh, is another, where they're used to make you addicted. Um, but, you know, we don't really know what's in some of these secret recipes. KFC chicken is one I'm going to talk about, and Coca-Cola. These are recipes, you know, I just did an episode on the QP hamburger, and it, we talked about how Dave Thomas worked with Harlan Sanders, if you can believe that, it sounds like a TV show, right? The the original uh, Colonel Sanders. They have a secret chicken recipe. Now, KFC, this is true. The original KFC recipe is located in a secret vault in the legal offices of the KFC headquarters. Only one person knows the combo to the safe. Only two people know the 11 herbs and spices and how much of each. But when they make it, only two companies are allowed to make this mixture. They both only have half the recipe and a computer puts that recipe together. So uh, we don't know what's in this. Is it mind controlling substances? Probably not, but maybe. Hmm. You know what fascinates me, Dan, is I'm wondering how they did this before the computer was around to put the ingredients <laughs> together. Yeah. Good question. You know, um, 
But, you know, it, it's interesting you bring this up because one of the things, you know, secret recipes and recipes um, and, and the control of ingredients, I learned something kind of scary from a friend of mine who runs a restaurant is that restaurants for the fountain drinks, as we know, I love my Diet Coke, mm-hmm. you know, and again, just like our D&D episode should have been sponsored by Eminem. I feel like this episode should now be sponsored by Diet Coke. Mm-hmm. We may have to <laughs> make, some know, create some, yeah. uh, make some calls and get some revenue. Mm-hmm. Um, but I learned that restaurants actually pay for a particular level of syrup. Mm-hmm. They're only allowed to use a syrup to non-syrup blend that they pay for. And this is why if, you go, if you're a, an aficionado like me, Diet Cokes tastes different at different restaurants. Mm-hmm. Because they have paid for different blends, yeah, right? And so there are certain, like particularly fast food chains that are known to have particularly good Diet Coke, but it's because there's more syrup in there and you get more of the flavor. Hmm. So when you sit there, you go, oh, my Diet Coke is watered down. Mm -hmm. It's just a cheap restaurant not paying for enough syrup. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. I didn't know that. I mean, I'm loving that you're bringing up this, you know, the the non-cheaping out of certain restaurants, uh, bringing up this... uh, it, with with this diet coke where some will give you more syrup than others but also i mean what dan was saying about the secret recipe is and and the coke recipe for that matter has got me wondering like if you're a if you're a fry cook at kfc do you get mm-hmm. like secret ingredient pack a and secret ingredient pack b and mix them <laughs> together at the restaurant and <laughs> i don't and, like think is so. that how the batter gets made <laughs> No, I think it's made outside. Like, I think it comes in. I mean, look, I, I have. Well, but, it, it, but if each if each factory only makes half of it, do you get two pieces that you then add together at the restaurant? Just a computer does. And then they mix it. And then that is sent out to the restaurants. I think it's. Oh, OK. Now, I don't know the whole process. And I'm sure it's also a patented process. But it does raise some interesting questions about who knows what. Right. So yeah. let's talk about the Coke. Let's talk about the Coke recipe, if we could, because I think you'll, you'll find this yeah. interesting, man. Uh, so Coke. Obviously, Denon, your favorite. Now, this was this was a recipe that was created in 1886. That's the original recipe. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, this was this was you know touted as a health drink, and why was it a health drink? Because it had cola nuts, um, at, which had a ton of caffeine, and coca leaves, aka cocaine. That's what Coca-Cola is. It's cocaine and caffeine <laughs> is basically what it is. That original 1986 recipe was held at, at a bank. <laughs> it was held at a bank since 1925. It was moved to a museum in Georgia where now you can, you know, you can see it. Allegedly, only two people have ever seen this particular um this recipe, which I find hard to believe because that actually they may not have seen the recipe itself. But, okay, at Coca-Cola only two company officials ever know the recipe at any point in time. They're not allowed to travel together. I mean, that's like the president and the vice president. <laughs> I mean, they can't travel together either, but that's for the sake of the nation. Uh, and when one dies, the other person chooses who the successor is. And none of this information is ever public. Uh, oh, this, wow. is, this is pretty incredible stuff to keep something secret. And I have to say, with my conspiratorial mind, why would they want to keep something this secret that's been around for so long without there being something like they clone Tyrone, some mind controlling power yeah. in this that isn't just caffeine and sugar? Well, Dan, or cocaine clearly, and I, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, clearly, I don't know, but clearly, um, I think they've been getting to you because I believe you said the recipe was 1886. Yes, mm-hmm. is that right? And Did then I say that later, wrong? you no. Well, later you said it was 1986, was which was clearly the mind control waves coming yeah, in and trying to confuse people mm. so they look in the wrong time zone <laughs> for the recipe. Right, that sounds right. Right. Yeah. 
you know, so not your fault at all. Not 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 a misspeak. I just went or a misspoke or a misspeaking. I don't know what the right uh, yeah, conjugation of misspeak is. Yeah, they're getting you. <laughs> um, but you know, it's it's horrible out there, Dan. It's horrible. It I mean, what's interesting about that is like when did the? I'm very curious when the the modern recipe came about. Like how much have they tweaked it? But I'm also curious, like they, you're, Dan, you're saying that the they only find a new person when the the current person dies. Like, are are these people so well paid that like they would never quit this job? Like, what is their <laughs> job that they work it till they die? <laughs> well, you want to talk about manipulation? Uh, when I worked at Walmart, you were forced to sing a song, and there are people who have such loyalty to companies. Uh, that pay them nothing uh, just for the yeah. sake. You tell someone that they're the only keeper of the recipe of Coca-Cola. You don't think you've just found an employee for life? I mean, people are I, dumb. Yeah, clearly. <laughs> people are. Actually, I'm going on the other side, Dan. If you told me the only thing you have to do for the rest of your life is keep this secret and I'm going to pay you a very decent salary, I'm, I'm like there. I'm done. I'll just hang out, keep it secret, not tell anyone, and collect my you know, six-figure salary, because I assume that's what I'm going to charge for being secret. Blackmail money? That's yeah. blackmail, Denon. A pyromaniac, it's a blackmailer, blackmail. and a it's torturer. It's being employed. <laughs> <laughs> it's being employed. You offered me a job with a task. Yeah. I accept. Okay. With the right level of compensation. Sure. I mean, it, it, it makes sense. And I'll tell you one of the little bit of trivia before we move on from Coca-Cola. So apparently, there is, uh, they still use coca leaves in the recipe. Mm-hmm. But they have to decocainize them, which I believe is an actual <laughs> word. So there's one company that the DEA has allowed to exist that gets coca leaves imported and takes the cocaine out. And that's what <laughs> Coca-Cola uses for their essence of, of Coca-Cola. Uh, I thought that was pretty impressive. And I have to wonder, where does that cocaine go? Well, I was thinking the same thing, Dan. Now that I'm in conspiracy mode, mm-hmm. um, I think that goes to the project we've been watching in the movie. Yeah. But just... <laughs> That's the white powder. That's the... <laughs> yeah. I, I, well, uh, what, I've, what I've really learned here is why te- Pepsi tastes bad. <laughs> yes, 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 uh, you have. Um, yeah, it's, I don't, it's, it's crazy stuff. Um, but, you know, so one thing, we've got to get to one other thing here, guys. Besides Coca-Cola, you know, we have to talk about music. And, you know, I'm not a musical guy and I I enjoy music, but I've never been someone who's really, really into music. But I do understand the power that music can hold over people. So, for example, I remember, you know, in this movie, you know, we see uh, uh, in a very funny scene, we see two guys who are fighting and they're listening to a song called uh, Kill a Motherfucker, I believe is what the name of the title is. And then they change it to I Need a Hug. And then the two people start hugging it out. Right. Mm -hmm. And this is a very funny illustration of what can actually happen. I remember when I was in college, I found myself extraordinarily depressed and sad and melancholy, super emo. Uh, I mean, what a dork I was. And I realized that I was listening to a band called Counting Crows a lot. Uh, This is going to date me quite a bit. And they're known for their melancholy type of music. And I suddenly one day realized that, oh, this music's really sad. I feel pretty sad. Maybe I should stop listening to this music. And I did. And then I felt great. And I haven't listened to them since, despite the fact that I still love them. Uh, But I can't listen to it. It affected me that profoundly. And I think we pass this off as if this isn't a real thing, but it totally is. Oh, I'm totally with you. I mean, music is incredibly powerful. I, I listen and love music. I don't know that I'm a music aficionado and that I don't 
think I could explain anything about it mm-hmm. um, in a real way. But it is something, you know, if I want to feel a certain way, I'll often listen to a certain type of music. Mm-hmm. Um, my kids play a fun game with me. I have a Spotify playlist that I named Fun Songs. It's not really so much fun. I, I don't know what the right name of it. But the kids try and, and guess what song will strike me that I'll put on that playlist. Oh, that's um, great. And it's kind of an eclectic playlist. Mm-hmm. But it, it, it really is a pure like non-intellectual decision. I listen to it and there's some music I absolutely love mm-hmm. and it's like, no, nope, it's not a fun song. It's not impacting me the way emotionally that I, I need this playlist to do. Right. So yeah, that interplay between music and your brain state I think it's very real, Dan. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it's really interesting. Dan, you bringing up the Counting Crows, I haven't listened to them in a long time either and and you're so on, on the money there that like, the counting crows make you feel sad. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, that's yes. just the way their melodies work. And as yeah. lovely as those songs are, it, it I don't I don't necessarily want to listen to it because I don't think I want to feel that way. <laughs> no, exactly. No, it's exactly. Right. But that's like the strange form of it's emotional yeah. manipulation. Right. It's yeah. weird. I mean, the same is true. I mean, growing up, I loved rap music, heavy metal. Right. And there's a lot of aggressive lyrics, aggressive mm-hmm. tones, beats, and you find yourself becoming aggressive like we see in this movie. Perfect for working out. Not so great for like driving around yeah. <laughs> in, in L.A. traffic, let's say, which can already yeah. make you kind of angry and put you on edge. Right. You don't need anything pushing you over. Uh, but there's something totally to that. You know, um, the jokes about Enya. Uh, these are, geez, I'm really dating myself now. Uh, but how being, you know, being calm and, and kind of wimpy yeah. music. It, it's true, though. It puts you in a totally different, relaxed kind of nerdy state, if I could say so. The bottom line of this, Dan, is the science and the biology of our brain. Mm-hmm. The brain is fundamentally chemical. Mm-hmm. It's an electrical chemical thing. Our emotions are tried to, tied to electrical chemical states. And everything we've been talking about, whether it's visual manipulation, uh, music manipulation, chemical manipulation, the way our brain and our senses work, your senses take these things in and turn them into chemicals. Yes. And those chemicals interact with your brain states, right? It, it's like it shouldn't surprise us that they have these effects, right? And minor keys are called minor keys for a reason. Mm-hmm. When your sound hears it, it triggers the chemicals that influence the sad part of your brain, right? And then you say it's sad music. So it's it's surprising, but it isn't when you think about the biology. Yeah. You know, it, it's so funny. I, I recently saw a, a Ben Folds concert, and he, he was joking about how he has, like, a happy song in a minor key and a sad song in a major key and, mm-hmm. and <laughs> how it's this manipulation <laughs> that you think – the song is the opposite of what the, the lyrics actually are because you're so used to this, the way these keys make you interpret things that yeah. you don't even notice that the lyrics are the opposite of what the song's actually sounding like. <laughs> That's super interesting. Well, and, and you know, we, we've talked about string theory and I'm probably going way off the deep end here, but I think frequencies and vibrations are universal and you can kind of, you know, tune yourself to, you can get your brain into that that sort of mind state just by the frequency. You know, I listen to binaural beats all the time. A lot of them are designed to change your brain waves and make you more focused. And they certainly do. 
uh, you know, and it, it's just by repeating a pattern over and over again, they can put you in a hypnotic trance as well, as we talked about earlier, you know, repeating the yeah. same drum beats over and over. This is how, you know, shamanistic journeys are, are about putting you in a, in a hypnotic state using drum beats, you know, re- a repetition of a, you know, of a beat sound over and over again. Uh, it's pretty fascinating stuff uh, that, you know, is, is, is great. You know, I mean, when you talk about music, it really has this powerful effect on you that, that we don't we don't really think about. And I wanted to quickly close here, if I could. As a master of film and television, I, I just I really enjoyed this movie a lot for several different reasons. And I think a lot of what you're talking about, Ben, where you have these subtle things that you don't see in the background that kind of affect you happen in mm-hmm. this movie. Right. I'm guessing that you guys cannot place the time period for when this movie takes place or where it takes place, right? And mm-hmm. I think that's purposeful, right? There are no accents. It takes some some place in the South, but we don't know exactly where. You know, you've got a 50s and 60s style government. You've got a 70s neighborhood, but there's 2022 pop culture references on the walls and some of the posters. Mm-hmm. It's got 90s storytelling. You've got kind of like 80s digital technology. Uh, you know, the 20s, the main character's got a very, you know, 20s to 2010 style. It's an overlapping of genres. They're mashed together. And I think it's purposefully designed to keep you in a state of not knowing exactly where this could take place because it could take place at any time. Yeah, and I think that's the scary part of it, Dan. It really mm-hmm. could take place at any time. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that that's the beauty of it. While mind manipulation has been a thing forever and this just goes to show that doesn't matter what when the movie Mm -hmm. is because this is what's been happening the entire time absolutely and it is you know as you mentioned it's part conspiracy movie part kind of zombie movie you know um (laughs) it's a zombie without the undead in a way Mm -hmm. right uh it's just you're just out to do one specific task which is really what a zombie movie is um i mean i think you can even have robot zombies you know you, you always hear about the the paperclip idea for um ai where if they were just told to create paperclips forever they would destroy the world um i'm not, barely not saying that correctly but in some ways those robots are the zombies because they're just doing one task over and right. over again at the detriment of those around them uh this I, so i completely i just want to go around really quickly i think that this is definitely a horror movie without question uh, because of everything that's going on. But it's not your classic horror movie, but I still think it fits into that genre. What about you, Denon? Did I convince you? Yeah, you've, you've convinced me. Um, I don't know. I just have one question for you. Just like there's the category of, of the dark comedy and dark humor, is this a humorous horror movie, a horror humor movie, a dark horror humor movie? Because I do feel it's a horror film with a little... With comedy that's edgy as opposed to a horror film with comedy that's silly. Yeah, well, because you can look like Shaun of the Dead is kind of silly, but a, kind of a horror movie. But it's a little more, it's more of a definitely a comedy movie, right? Yeah. This one, you know yeah. what I think this movie does really well and why I like it so much, mostly as the master of film and television, is because it smashes so many genres. And when mm-hmm. I was yeah. growing up and learning about films, the ones that really were cutting edge and doing things like that really stuck out to me. So I, you know, I, I think you could see this at a lot of different ways, but it's really funny, but the humor doesn't really take away from the horror element of it because that's always present, right? It never deflates (laughs) that part of it, which I think is really hard to do. Yeah. I'm with you. I think the true horror is that it's not even maybe a horror movie. It's really more a, uh, somewhat fictionalized documentary. 
Yeah, because it takes and and you know, why we started the show so dark is because it pulls so much from a dark history that yeah. it feels too real to dismiss out of hand, right? Yeah. Whereas like it, zombies and Shaun of the Dead, you can dismiss zombies pretty quickly because we've never seen them before. Yeah, no. The, the, what is going on in this movie is is not false enough, <laughs> right? Yeah. To be scary, and that's that what's a, truly scary. That is yeah. that is a great way to end the show. Uh, it is a perfect way. Um, I, let's quickly do errors, additions, and omissions. Although I think you said it all there, Ben. Uh, but then, is there anything about this you wanted to talk about that we didn't get to? Uh, just real quickly, I love when the one guy is cannot believe that his friend gets in an elevator. He's like, "Come on." This is all the warning signs. And as I said, I learned everything from TVs and movies. Mm. I respect the character who learned elevators in a random place that looked nice and shiny. Yep. Danger. Yeah. yeah. Um, and just avoid them. Definitely. Uh, I agree. What about you, Ben? Anything we missed you want to talk about? Well, I, li- I like that you brought up the, the, the mishmash of technology because I, th- I think it's funny that you have all this old 70s tape reel computers and whatnot. But then when you go to the club, the the DJ is playing an MP3. Like, did they right. make the MP3 down in the the yeah. tape reel department? Then how'd they get it to him? Like, yeah. what? <laughs> it's all meant to throw you off. It's I mean, just, everything is so crazy. Yeah. Yeah, it's really good. And I will. And in that in that vein, uh, I will put up a link to a great episode uh, on YouTube that I watched that tells you all the Easter eggs in this movie. And I love when someone when when directors take the time to put all sorts of little things in the movie that you don't see on first watch. And then when you watch them again, you can't not see them and pulls from pop culture. Right. Uh, that, that's my favorite stuff. But uh, if we've missed anything else you know, about this movie or anything in general, let us know um, by your favorite mind manipulation platform. You can find us on Twitter at FGGBTPod. You can find us on Facebook at FGGBT. But you can get in touch with us individually. Dennett, where can people find you? Well, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, threads, all of those fun things. Just flip my name at Den and Michael. Facebook, I'm at Prof Den and Michael. Um, my website's denandmichael.com. But YouTube is so old that How on YouTube, my channel is just Michael Denon. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right. All right. That's great. Uh, what about you, Ben? Uh, where can people find you? You can find me on all the major social media networks at B Seepser. How do you spell that? Spell that B-S-I-E-P-S-E-R. And for the proper mind manipulation, you can find me on the following platforms, Twitter at Daniel J. Glenn, Instagram and threads at the Daniel J. Glenn on Facebook at Analytical Mastermind. And if you're listening to this, you can watch the show on YouTube, youtube.com backslash Daniel J. Glenn. And I have a website as well, DanielJGlenn.com. And if you're listening on your favorite podcast platform, make sure to rate, review and subscribe. And if you're watching us on YouTube, hit the like button, subscribe, and ring that bell so you never miss an episode. And finally, this show contains powerful information that can be misused by those hell-bent on world domination. But take this information and do good with it. Like the heroes in this movie, you can fight against your manipulating oppressors and become a superhero, not a supervillain. So until next time, thank you for listening. Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies is a Glencoe production and is produced by me, Daniel J. Glenn. The Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies introduction was produced by Daniel J. Glenn and Paul Springers with music and sound design written and performed by Paul Springers. Now, of course, if you're listening to this episode and you've gotten this far, you're going to want to subscribe. Well, how do you do that? 
We're on all the major podcasting platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Spotify. But if you're not already subscribed to those platforms, I made it easy for you. Go to our website, ftriplegbt.com. You'll find links to those subscribe buttons and also links to our social media, both for the show and for our individual experts, the members of the Brain Trust. That's all right there ftriplegbt.com. And before you leave, don't forget to check out our other episodes. You can find the link at the top of the page for everything we've got, and you'll notice that we've got both a YouTube version and an audio-only version, depending on what you like. We got it for you, and if you do like those videos, you can go ahead and subscribe to those as well. We're on youtube.com backslash Daniel J. Glenn. And once again, if you like this show, you're going to like everything that I do. Go to danieljglenn.com to find out more. Thank you for listening.